0: welcome to the international podcast conversations that matter from around the world from politics entertainment culture the arts lifestyle and more the international brings you various perspectives from key voices and now over to the host of the international g van robinson Uh, Welcome, everyone, to yet another edition of the International Podcast. I'm your host, Jeevan Robinson, here with you for yet another week. Today, we're going to be talking beauty and poverty. And I have with me on the line, she's in the south of Turkey now, actually. But what we're going to be talking about is an event or a development, I should say, from Africa, Kenya, Africa, Nairobi, to be specific. And I have here with me Katazinia Rebashik and she's a political correspondent for Immigration Advice Service, an immigration law firm based in the United Kingdom with operations globally. Good day to you, Ah, uh, Thank you. Hi,
1: everyone. Thanks hey, you for doing? having me. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Just enjoying Turkey, but have a lot of work as well. So,
0: uh, yeah. Stay yeah. tuned. Good, good, good. Well, Karazini, we last featured you here when you did a piece on gender violence in Botswana, Africa, and what's been done to combat it. From Botswana, you moved on to Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya, to be specific. And you submitted a piece to MNI last week that looked at beauty inequality and how beauty classes in Africa's largest slum uh helping to get women out of poverty. The area we're talking about is Nairobi, Kenya, and the slum we're talking about is the Kibera slum. Now the Kibera slum, Katazenia, is described as the largest slum in Africa. Describe for us the conditions there, please.
1: Um, yeah, so Kibera is the largest slum in Africa and it's also the poorest. So um no one really knows how many people exactly live there because most of Kibera's residents are undocumented, undocumented. Um, But it is estimated that more than 2 million people live there um, wow. but they all live in these informal houses so these are houses that are made of um, iron sheets and um, so they don't have any concrete walls or floor it's just all made of iron and then um, yes it's all very provisional and when it rains, then um, like people basically lose all their belongings and there's no there's no clean water like in these houses. There's only a few water stations where people get can get clean water. But for that, they have to walk like often a few kilometers and there's no sanitation or like waste management system uh, needed. So and, like all the waste just goes into streets. So um, yeah, like diseases spread very easily. And so the conditions there are really degrading. And um, yeah, it was really shocking seeing how like the poorest of the poor li- live.
0: Yeah, th- thanks for that description there, the Kibera slum, Katazinia. The, the Kibera slum is surrounded by golf courses and large mansions from what I, I realized when I was doing some research on it. What message, you've traveled around Africa, what message does this portray about Africa's great inequalities.
1: Mm, yeah, I think like basically Kibera and Nairobi um, like really illustrates these African inequalities really well. So it kind of seems like the richest in Africa remain somewhat indifferent to what's happening around there and how the poorest live. Um, because Kibera is also only about six kilometers away from Nairobi city center. So it's really not that far and anyone can go there. So it's not like you have to have a special permission. It's not an isolated area. It's kind of become like a part of the city. But at the same time, it's so different to the rest of Nairobi. And um, yeah, I think basically what it says is that well, people who have resources to change that. So the richest in Africa. And, they don't really do much to use these resources to reach out to these people and help them, because um like there's also a lot of like government government buildings really close to Kibera. and um, and the government has over the years, obviously tries to uh, improve living conditions there, but they haven't done as much as they should do. Um, so, yeah, it all is kind of like very isolated like the slum and um people who could do something just don't really do as much as they should
0: right right so so when you were in the kibera slum katazidia did you have to have guards walking with you what's it like in terms of safety and stuff like that because of the extreme poverty you being there obviously not from there what was that like what was that experience like talk to us about that
1: um, yes, yeah, so I was I was volunteering in the slam and there was me and one other volunteer with me as well. Um, so he's from Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we were with locals, the so people who live in Nairobi, not in Kibera, but they run these programs uh, there. So we'd normally walk around with them, not really on our own. But after like having spent a few days there, we like, got a bit more comfortable, like we felt a bit more comfortable there. So we started walking around a bit on our own. Um, So for the most part, people there are really friendly and welcoming because they want to get to know our culture and they want to show us how they live. So we'd go to their houses and they would offer us tea and they'd be very happy to talk to us. And like Kibera has become its own little community and many people assume that it's dangerous because of poverty that's there. And obviously they have to be careful walking around there, but it's the people there are really kind and... They just have been really unfortunate in where in life, and it just comes down to where they were born. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for security reasons, we'd normally just try to stick to someone from the organization, just to feel more comfortable. Also because they speak the local language, obviously. So. they could communicate with people and because obviously as foreigners like people would notice us very easily and would pay a lot of attention to us so even if they didn't necessarily try to be aggressive or hostile they would just try to talk to us and try to stop us because they'd only see many foreigners going in there.
0: Mm -hmm. Right But, but you yourself you've traveled Around the world, you've traveled around parts of Africa, so I know that you have great experience in how to conduct yourself, so to speak, in these types of environments and these different situations that you become involved in because of your work. For for people in the Cabera Slum, uh, katazenia they have no documents. I heard you say in your introduction when I asked to give us a description of the slum, and what I also realized too is that they have no access to education now. Are you aware of any programs from NGOs, non government organizations, whether local or international, who are working to fix this?
1: Mm, Yeah, so there's a lot of um, NGOs that operate in Kibera. So the one that I got to um, kind of observe was it's called USESCO. And and they basically run these empowerment, both empowerment and educational programs for people living in the Kibera slum. And um, because as you said, the people in Kibera don't really have a way to get education because they have to pay for it and also because well they can't really register to regular schools. And right. um, so they rely on these educational systems. but so USESCO, for example, they start with small children in preschool and they teach them basic well you know like how to count and they teach them the basics of English and things like that. And then for like a bit older people, they, um they run a high school as well, so it's um called the Silver Springs High School, okay. and it's in Kibera as well. It's really big. They've got in it well it's in kind of like a rundown building, like an abandoned building, but it's got three floors and they turned it into a high school. So okay. people from Kibera can come there and they learn they learn maths, geography, English, things like that. But um it all kind of like, so USESCO relies on the help of volunteers who come from various countries. And so basically, obviously, it's good that these children can get some education, but at the same time, it's not really given to them by professionals. And also, these volunteers, they rotate every few weeks or every few months. So there's no, you know, like constant. But. Um, By UCESCO, I, I think it's like a really good organization that does. They run a lot of these programs and um, they really like help hundreds of people in Kibera, thanks to them. Okay.
0: Mm. You know, there's an endless cycle of poverty from what I am gathering in the Kibera slum. You mentioned over 2 million uh, people live there. It's being described as one of the largest, one of, or is it the, or one of the largest slums in Africa? Is it the largest slum?
1: it's the largest one
0: yeah um yeah right so it's been described as the largest slum in africa now over here in the west we're spoiled in many ways yes we have or cases of poverty but then there's also access to various programs for people who want to access those in the kibera slum i'm very intrigued to know jobs what type of jobs do people normally do within the, the the slum environment
1: Mm, yeah so most people who live in Kibera they're just casual workers so um, yeah, basically what they do is they go to the areas where the richest live and they stand outside of hotels or restaurants and then they ask them if they maybe can wash their car for them or do their laundry and things like that so that's what they do and that's how they get their income. So, um, you know, it's kind of like one day they can get lucky and actually earn some money, but then there are other days where they spend the whole day there, and um they don't really get anything out of it. Right. Um, yeah, some of um residents of Kibera, they also start their own small businesses um like within Kibera, so they like open their little shops um, and sell like vegetables or fish or like the thing i talked about in my article with these beauty programs like yes. a lot of people open their own yeah. yeah so having a beauty salon and things like that like small businesses That's okay okay
0: Okay, so, so let's talk about the, the women in, in Kibera. And uh, you have the opportunity to shadow USESCO. You mentioned them briefly a while there. Uh, give us a bit more in terms of who they are, because I think I asked you about NGOs, and you mentioned USESCO as one of these organizations helping uh, individuals within the slum. But particularly, we want to talk about women in the Kibera slum and USESCO. Who is this organization, in, and what do they do in terms of helping women in the slum.
1: Mm, yeah so i'm um, Yeah, Usesco was started by uh kingsley he's the founder and yeah basically manages all these programs so, and it's
0: sorry started by whom
1: it, he, his name is kingsley kingsley he's okay. the founder yeah um yeah so he he's in charge of running all these programs that they do and um Usesco, um was started in nairobi and first focusing on Kibera but then over the years they expanded their operations to other slums around Nairobi Mm because there's a few smaller slums um, around there as well Um, and then they run they ran all sorts of programs so as either as I said like starting schools or like focusing on women they um, run these female empowerment programs when they for example talk about like managing women's periods because that's a big problem in the slum as well because there's a lot of stigma around that, and there's no access to a hygiene product, um, so they basically talk to women and girls about like how what to do um, when they're under period and how to deal with that. They also will basically tell women encourage women to stand up for themselves and to be more independent because in Kibera, um. Many people still believe that women are inferior to men and that they should be passive and shouldn't work or should only take care of the children. So mm-hmm. USESCO aims to change that, but by you know talking to women about why it's important for them to have their own lives, and that's also why they invite like volunteers from abroad, and then the women in Kibera see how women in the West behave and what they do, and then that's kind of meant to inspire them as well. Um, And yeah, Nysesco started this beauty program as well um, that I talked about in the article. So yeah, so basically they just want women to be able to open their own small businesses. And um, so they not only teach them about how to do these beauty treatments, like cut hair or do makeup, but they also teach them like communication skills or basically how to manage a business. So that gives them grounds to... Like open their own thing, right. so that yeah.
0: Sorry, go ahead though. Feel
1: free, go ahead. No, so that just I I honestly felt that from all of their programs that was the one that I thought was the most practical and like actually like mm-hmm. pretty good because yeah like, leaving this program, women actually have the skills, the knowledge to do that themselves. It's just obviously they need resources to open their own thing and to have equipment for it. Right.
0: But, um, yeah. You know, we, we hear of beauty salons, and it's really good to hear of the work that USESCO is doing, as you so described. We hear of beauty salons, and many persons listening may eventually start thinking of uh, fancy dryers, uh, washing stations, and other such notable conveniences. Describe for us, if you may, Katazenia, a beauty salon within the confines of the Kibera slum.
1: Um, yeah, so these beauty salons just basically look like the houses. so um, they're made of iron sheets again and um, there's often there's no mirror or whatever. And the equipment that they can purchase is also very limited. So um, like even if someone has a beauty salon, often it means that all they do is they just have scissors and just offer haircuts. Um, but it's basically you know evolves around like basic beauty treatments. Um, but when it comes to facilities, they're very limited. So um, yeah, it's not it's not like a big business, but it's some way um, for these women to be able to get some income on their own.
0: Right. okay. And as you described there just now, some of the services they offer are primarily haircuts, uh, washing, anything like that or just it's just about haircuts primarily.
1: Um, You know, washing is a bit of a problem because of limited access to water. Right. So, yeah, yeah, Yeah. like to us, it's just, it's really difficult to get water there. So it's not connected to any of the houses. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah.
0: So, So let me ask you then, in terms of an appreciation for earnings for the purposes of our conversation today. and Thank you so much. You're sharing such wonderful information, and we're getting a very vivid picture of the Kibera slum and and what happens there, so it's really good that you are sharing such vital information with us today. Thank you. In terms of an appreciation, Katazinia, for earnings within the slum, and particularly for women starting their own beauty salons, can you give us an idea in terms of, let's say, conversion as uh, how much a salon visit for a haircut would cost there, converted to say US dollars?
1: Oh, it would probably just be like 50 cents, maybe a dollar. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. 50 cents.
1: Yeah. And, and
0: are, there, are there a lot of, in terms of competition, are there a lot of beauty salons set up throughout the slum?
1: Yeah, it's becoming more and more popular. But at the same time, the demand for it is quite high. Because uh, there's a lot of people living there, and obviously the people there still, you know, enjoy like a lot of things like we do in the West. So like all the women enjoy like some beauty treatments, like having their nails or the makeup done. So it's these things that you know make them happy. Um, so the demand for it is really high. Although like it's becoming more and more popular now.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's a theme of empowerment in our conversation here today, Katazinia, and particularly the empowerment of women within the Kibera slum. Women were always heavily dependent on their husbands prior to organizations such as UCESCO coming in and and helping them to be empowered?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's basically of um, just the cultural norms, really. So it's not just Islam, but Kenya is generally struggling with, with that. Obviously in the city center, like it's it's changing, it's been changing in recent years. So women also work and they've got a good jobs and good salaries. But in Kibera, um the progress is rather slow. So um many women, they just they're completely dependent on their husbands for income and their primary task is to just take care of the children. Um, which is also why for women, it's even more difficult than for men to get out of poverty, to get out of the slum, because most of the time they don't have like any income. So, you know, if they wanted to leave Kibera, then they really wouldn't have any resources to do it. Right.
0: OK. You know, I'm, I'm wondering, as as you spoke there, you say that women have always traditionally been dependent upon their husbands within the confines of the slum. Marital tensions, I know Botswana, we look particularly at gender violence against women uh, in light of the conversation we're having. Marital tensions, issues with uh, spousal abuse, stuff like that we, within the Kibera slum, because now women are seeking to be uh, independent of their husbands, so to speak.
1: Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely a big, a big problem as well. And often I think a big problem is also that, you know, um, like men, for example, they all of a sudden decide to get like a different wife. So there's no like, fidelity very often on the side of men. And then women are also left with nothing because they don't have any income. Uh, like gender-based violence is a problem too, especially with a lot of people in Kibera, they abuse alcohol. So after alcohol, um, these incidents are even more... Yeah, they occur even more often. Um, So yeah, that's definitely a big problem.
0: Right. Right. Okay. The UNESCO. UNESCO. Sorry, I'm about to say UNESCO. UNESCO charity. (laughs) We spoke earlier about the work they've been doing within the slum. And your piece mentioned that they set up the lovely looks college uh, to basically train and educate women around uh, setting up their beauty salon businesses, et cetera, et cetera. What are some of the remaining challenges, uh, Katazemia, that women within the Kibera slum face? Like, yes, if they could teach them, uh, what do you call it, different uh, skills in terms of haircuts, whatever. But are there, is there any training in terms of like, okay, this is how you set up a business, uh, ma- basic management skills, different things like that?
1: Yeah, so that's what UCESCO is trying to do. So each week they teach these women who attend their lovely looks college, different things. So they combine like, you know, the basics of beauty treatments with, as you say, management skills or communication skills, like customer service. So oh. Um, yeah, they try to really bring all that together so that they know how to set up and then run their own business. Um, but obviously, like even with all that, the biggest challenge is like getting funds and getting resources to be able to actually do it. Because a lot of these women, they already have the knowledge and the skills, but they just don't have the money. Because in Kibera, despite how bad the living conditions are, you still have to pay rent. And um, so, you know, for them to open a beauty salon they'd have to be paying two rents one for the place where they live and one for the beauty salon and so that's like a big expense often
0: yeah i could imagine i could imagine folks you're listening to the international podcast we're talking to katazynia because she's a political correspondent for immigration advice service and immigration law firm based in the united kingdom who operate lo- uh, globally sorry. we're talking about the situation in the Kibera slum in Nairobi, Kenya. Katzingnya just now before you in, in your presentation there, you mentioned rent that rent has to be paid rent uh, for iron dwellings if you want to call it that or galvanize, I think is what we'd better be able to appreciate you know in some parts over here in the West. How much is rent roughly for, for, for these uh, premises?
1: um it depends how big your apartment there is but if like it kind of varies um between 30 and 50 Mm dollars but you know for people like most of the people who live in Mm kibera they only have like one dollar a day to spend so i'm you know on like food so like even these 50 dollars each month is like a lot also given how bad the conditions are Paying $50 for that just seems like a lot.
0: Right, right. We're talking about USESCO. We have spoken a lot about USESCO, I should say. I'm quite keen to know about government. We haven't really talked about government and what the Nairobi government, the wider uh, national government, what are they doing in terms of assisting and alleviating the situation in the world's largest slum right there in, in their on their doorstep, so to speak?
1: Um yeah, so like that's also why the situation uh, so that's why the situation in Kibera is so bad is also because the government isn't really doing much, but that's because they view Kibera as like an illegal settlement. um. so they basically oh, think oh, that oh, the people oh, who live
0: sorry, there. a what settlement?
1: Uh, illegal.
0: Illegal, oh, okay,
1: okay. Yeah, so um, that's why they're not really giving people living there much help because they think that they shouldn't be there. And um, but because you know, like obviously over the years Kibera has been growing so much that now um yeah it's it's massive. But the I think like in the past the government tried to um, provide like grant people access to clean water, for example. So they build a few clean water stations around Kibera, but that's still not enough for people to have you know, constant access to it. and um, so the government is basically absent from um yeah from Kibera, and it all, well, all the people who yeah, want to get some help, they're like dependent on NGOs.
0: Mm-hmm. Who we'll come in and get some assistance. So so if they view the Kibera slum as an illegal settlement, are they harassing? Are the authorities, uh, by way of police and so forth, harassing uh, people who live in the slum to, to get out, uh, destroying their homes, different things like that? Do they have such issues?
1: Uh, No, I don't know. I think in the past that would happen sometimes, but now they just left it um, and they just don't really get involved in it. But at the same time, um, you know, they don't really they kind of don't facilitate anything for them. And so they don't really help people to get out of there. So even if someone from Kibera wants to get a job or wants to get an education, they have no way to do it and the government is not willing to help them. Um so they're not really getting involved there anymore in any way. So they're not mm-hmm. making the situation worse, but they're also not making it any better.
0: Any better. Right. And and for you, Katazinia, by way of looking to, to wrap our conversation soon, for yourself, in terms of that experience in the Kibera slum before you were in Botswana, what are the lasting impressions, so to speak, that that whole experience within the slum left upon you?
1: Um, I mean, it's definitely uh, really difficult to be there and to spend, because I'd spend like, you know, three weeks, so like almost a month there, volunteering. So it's really shocking um, seeing how people live because for them, it's also just normal and they get really used to it. Um, so definitely a few days were just really difficult. But then after a while, you, um, I think you just feel really inspired by how strong people there are and by, you know, the willingness to change the situation, despite um, the environment not really being, uh, you know, that favorable. And um, so it's definitely an enriching experience, and I'm glad I did it. But at the same time, it was really difficult, because, you know, it's just really degrading, like, being surrounded by, like, so much poverty and so much waste everywhere, and just so much suffering, and not really being able to do anything because the scale of the problem is just so big that even like like despite these programs you know most of the people are still just going to spend their lives there really so I still think that it's you know even if we can only help one person that's better like than not to help anyone but at the same time you know they're really we can't really have that much as much of an impact as we'd like to have
0: Yes, yes, yes. You know, Katzin, your, your, your time here with us on the international, really and truly appreciated a great share today. In some ways, a sad story, but also an enlightening story, uh, a story of great hope, a story of great resilience. So I, I really want to thank you for taking the time. You're in Turkey. What time is it in Turkey now, by the way?
1: It's almost 10 p.m.
0: 10 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> Ready, you're talking to me, thank you so much, Katazania. So, uh, from Turkey, I know you were in Lebanon and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. now we're in Turkey. Where, where, where to next from Turkey? Where do you head next?
1: I think I'm gonna go to Iraqi Kurdistan next. To Iraq, yeah, like Iraqi Kurdistan, so to the north.
0: Okay, oh, Kurdistan. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Well. We wish you all the best, continue to stay safe, continue to send in those really wonderful stories, uh, the pictures, the pictures of human resilience, hope, uh, also some tragedy mixed in within, but throughout it all, it's really good that you're sharing these stories and, and enlightening the whole world as to what is happening across different areas and how different people are living. So we do look forward to receiving much more, much more pictures, much more information from you. And of course, we will speak again right here on The International. So thank you for making the time. It's late, so I'm going to let you go get some rest.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much for having me today. It was great. And I look forward to being on more episodes in the future.
0: Yes, you will definitely be on more episodes. I will be sure to invite you back. Folks, uh, we've been speaking to Katarzymya Ribashik and she is a political correspondent for Immigration Advice Service And they are an international law firm based in the United Kingdom, but also they operate globally. Thank you once again, Cantazania.
1: Thank you.
0: Okay. That's the end of the International, folks. I am your host, Jivan Robinson, saying until we meet again next week, have yourself a wonderful day. The International Podcast Conversations that matter from around the world. From politics, entertainment, culture, the arts, lifestyle, and more. The International brings you various perspectives from key voices.